This podcast is brought to you by Whites Ferry Road Church. For more information, please visit WFRChurch.org. Everything that God does is to bring glory. Uh, yeah, this is what I was talking about, actually. To himself. Right. This is this is Everything God does, his motivation is to display his glory of himself, like to bring glory to himself. The question I always had is, well, how in the world is that love? You ever known anyone that they're, they're just glory hogs? They're always seeking the glory? You know, like, that dude is the most arrogant person I've ever met. And, like, like I, I can't stand people like that. And now I'm told that this is, like, God is... Is always bringing, like his motivation is, according to scripture, is to bring glory to himself, bring glory to himself. And I'm always like, man, it just seems so. <coughs> I mean, I, you don't even want to say it, do you? But you know, you're thinking, that doesn't seem very loving. Yeah, it seems airy and egotistical. Yeah, there's a paradox in scripture that I think undergirds all of scripture. It's a paradox, and a paradox is not a contradiction, a paradox is a perceived contradiction. Um, people use the term a lot to mean contradiction. It's not a contradiction. It's that when you're looking at it, it's like, that seems like a contradiction. But God is love. But he's also this glory hall. That doesn't doesn't match up. And so what we typically do is we say, well, let's just accept it because that's what, you know, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about the implications of that. But it's... Aren't we looking at that only from our human perspective? We have no idea what possibly the original language meant, mm-hmm. nor what real glory is. We only know what we think it is. So how could we can't compare a person getting glory as the same thing as God? I think I, I think you're I think you're right in some to some degree that, that it is hard to make comparisons, and I don't think you can compare it. Uh, I think the proper explanation of that, though, I do think we can understand it, though. Uh, I think it makes sense when we understand it in this way. If I see God as as the modalist, the oneness guy sees him, that he's just one being, one person manifesting himself in three different ways, then there is a contradiction. There really is. It's one of the problems if you don't have a doctrine of the Trinity. Now, I'm sitting there and this whole, God can't be loving me. God cannot be love if he's not triune. You understand that? Because he would be a glory hall. So you say, well, what? that's not loving. What God is, is he's Father. The Father loves the Son. And this love between them, and I'm going to get into this later, is the Spirit. But it's actually a person. And all three are persons. So they're connected. Each one of these, each one, I read a bunch of scriptures in here, by the way, too, and Jesus said, hey, I'm not giving glory to myself. Everybody said, but there is one that gets glory. The Father is 100% bent on glorifying the other two members of the Trinity. The Spirit is 100% bent on glorifying the other two members of the Trinity. 
So Sean is 100% bent on glorifying the other two members of the Trinity. So what you have here is the Son's, I'm, I demand glory for the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit says, I demand everything I do is to bring glory to the Father and the Son. The Father says, everything I do is to bring glory to the Spirit and the Son. Therefore, everything God does is to bring glory to himself. It, but it's actually completely selfless. Does that make sense? It's completely selfless, which is love. It's what marriage should look like. But my wife will not do this. I do it. I actually did. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was a joke. So, so that, so when God, everything that He does is to bring glory to Himself, and He said, "Well, He made me," and one of the reasons that He made me—not one of the reasons—the only reason that He made me was to what? To bring glory to Himself. So, but that, how is that love? Because now I'm well. God knows, because God's God, that the only way, the only way for humans to experience joy is what? To bring glory to God. He says, I know, I've, I've created you in my image. I know, like he is God, he knows he's, he's, he knows he's necessary truths. The only way that humans will ever experience joy, the only way humans will ever experience joy is to give glory to God. So if God did not tell us that the only way to experience joy is to give glory to Him, then He's not really a loving God. He's loving because He tells us the way to experience the ultimate joy. And I'll say it like this. You can experience joy in your life, and that's really what this, we're kind of getting into what this whole class is going to be about, to the extent that you bring glory to God. To the extent that you bring glory to God will be the extent that you bring joy to your, to your life. Here's a quick analogy of that. Um, the opposite of giving glory to God is what? Glory to yourself. Glory to yourself. So, I think about people who give glory to themselves. And the first thing that pops in my mind, except for my family, is celebrities. Okay? Because it's, it's it, you know, you think about everything that they do. It's like it's it's bringing. So I think about like when you reach the top of the game, and you, I mean, you you have you have conquered your genre. Okay, think about this. Who is the king of rock and roll? Elvis Presley. I mean, can you get any more accomplished in the rock and roll business than Elvis Presley? That's it. That's as high as you go. So when you get to the top and you've served yourself to that point. And I, just, I have accomplished it all. That I have all this glory. You think now that day must be fulfilled? But how do you die? On a toilet. On a toilet, drug overdose. I mean, isn't that crazy? So if it's one person, that'd be one thing. Then I think about who's the king of pop. I mean that. Michael Jackson. So he gets to the top of the chart. He is the king of pop. How does he die? Drug overdose. See. He, He's not experiencing joy. If you have a drug overdose, that means you're not experiencing joy. What about the queen of R&B? Despite depending on which... which uh, Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. <laughs> uh, if people say Aretha Franklin or Whitney Houston, how did Whitney Houston die? Down in tub. Drug overdose. Mm. I keep doing locations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Okay, what about this? What about the king of grunge alternative music? Nirvana, Kirk Cobain, remember Kirk Cobain? How did he die? Heroin induced suicide. He didn't experience joy. He was top. He was the. He started the alternative grunge movement. He died 
What about the, uh, uh, I just thought about another one. The queen of rock and roll, Janis Joplin, how does she die? Drug overdose. The king of country, Hank Williams Sr., how did he die? Drug, Drug overdose. So you get to looking around and you think, the more glory I get, the more miserable I become. Right? There's something to that. Now this teaching right here is totally it's totally contrary to everything our culture tells us. So we're out there in our marriages and I'm trying to bring glory to myself and meanwhile, guess what? My marriage is falling apart. It's miserable because I'm, it's all about me. My needs get met. That's why I hate that these books like His Needs, Her Needs and I'm reading I'm thinking, man, that's the most narcissistic, like, you know, it's like it's not about my needs. It ain't about her needs. You know what it's about? Give glory to God. That's what every the motivation for everything we do is to give glory to God. And to the extent that I do that, that will be the extent that I experience joy. Now, um, no, exactly. We do the same thing. You know, you think about those guys, all those people that you just listed. I mean, they had in their mind they had this picture built of what the pinnacle of their life would be, and everything they had they poured into it day after day, and then they finally get there, only to find out that I'm just as empty as I need you. I think you're right. I think by necessity it follows that. I think that if, if on this side, if on this side of the spectrum you've got joy, and on this side of the spectrum you've got depression, and glorifying God's over this way, and glorifying yourself over this way, I mean, whatever way you're going, like the more you glorify yourself, the more you'll be depressed, which seems weird, but it's the truth. I mean, it's. You know what I mean? So when you say that that, that your ultimate, if you want to be completely depressed, is to try to satisfy yourself. Yeah, I think I think the more the more you seek to, to satisfy yourself, the more depressed you'll be, and ultimately you'll be in despair. Uh, that's in fact. <laughs> I mean, and that's one of the things I don't think Schaefer talks about it in this book, but there's another book that, I, that is, is my second favorite book that he wrote called um, "The God Who Is There." And Schaefer talks about a uh, he has a, like a, a, a line of despair, you know, like that, that once you get below this line, it's like that's when things get really bad. Despair. How do you spell despair? B. B E S P A R. Yeah, horrible speller. And and he and he has these. I, I kind of came up with this um, little diagram a few years ago to, to describe it, but it's like. <laughs> I won't be accurate here, but you have this diagram of of uh, of man. This all plays into this this whole idea of what we're going to be talking about. So that's why that's why I know I'm chasing rabbits, but it works. Um, God and then animal. Okay, God, man, animal. Okay, so if you look at God, and I hate to draw a circle around God because you can't really contain God in a box like that, but for the purposes of this illustration, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, do you notice how there's an overlapping between us and God right here? These circles, kind of like the Olympic circle. They're like the Olympic circles, and, and they overlap at a certain point. And, and, uh, and there's a, we're, we're kind of like God. You know what I mean? We are. I mean, uh, we... Genesis chapter one verse twenty six says that, that we're made in God's image. He says in the image of He said, "Let it." By the way, that's another interesting verse because I didn't talk about that in Genesis one. 
It says, God created the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis 1.26, it says, let us make man in our image, in the image of God. And he goes, he goes from plural to singular in two verses. In the image of God, he created them, both male and female. So you have this idea, even in the Old Testament, the very first chapter of the Bible, of God being something more than just one person. But yet, at the same time, he's one. Let us make man in our image. He created them in his image, in his likeness. See how he does that? He goes back and forth. So we see it in the beginning. So we're made in God's image. We are made in God's image. And you think, if you ever think about what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, we know it's not physical because God's not physical. God's spirit. So God doesn't physically look like me. Okay? No one's ever seen God, Father. I mean, there's no spirit. There, he, God is spirit. He's not um, physical. Now, he, he did incar- become incarnate physical whenever in the, when Jesus, his son, came. But, but God, the triune God, is spirit. So when you think about how am I like God, how am I made this image, the question I ask is, how are you not like all the other animals? Because we are like other animals. I mean, anyone in here that's uh, skinned a deer before, I mean, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, they've got stomachs. They've got, like, red liquid that comes out of their bodies. It's called blood. We have it, too. Red blood cells, white blood cells, lungs, brains, spinal cords. Very similar, if you look at it. But how are we not like the other animals? We, we have free will. Oh, we that's huge. Yeah, so we got free will. Reason. Reason. Opal thumbs. Everybody always says that. But but I think the koala bears have thumbs. Or panda bears. Panda bears. I had to look that up so I could... Because I, could, cause I, had, to I had to be able to repeat that. Um, what about this one? More creative? I mean, Becky works for a company that figured out how to take wood and plastic and put it all, assemble it together and carve it all out and where you can do this and it sounds like a duck. I mean, I don't see animals creating instruments to trick other animals into their traps, right? They don't do that. But we create things. Um, We advance. Or what? We're analytical. We could, yeah, that would fall into reason. We're analytical. We think, of, yeah. Or, or what about uh, our ability to appreciate beauty? Aesthetics. Aesthetic beauty in the world where you can look at the world around you and you say, man, that's, that's gorgeous. I mean, like uh, we went to Cades Cove. Um, yeah, anyone know what Cades Cove is at up in Gatlinburg? Oh, I mean, you drive through this place. And we go during the fall, and it's just the leaves are changing. You see the the rolling hills, and there's these huge deer and bear and turkeys, and I mean it is just a scene. Out of I mean it's just like a, on a postcard, and you just sit back and you're just like wow. And I've and I've been in several cities like that in my life. I grew up in in, in, in Gainesville, Florida, and the Suwannee River. When I, I sit on that river, I'm just like this place has got to be the most beautiful place in the world. I, that crystal clear water that where the springs are at and the manatees will swim up there and it's just un, unbelievable. Or you ever heard a song 
and it brings back an emotion from maybe high school or you, know, you, you kind of tear up a little bit or makes you think of your dad that passed away or so, you know, something brings back that, that emotion, that memory. You know? Why, is it, why are we like that? Because we're like God. Relational. Why in the world do we even want to have relationships? Like what is like what is this? What are we doing in here? Like, have you thought about that? Animals don't get together and talk and and commune and drink coffee together and tell jokes and sit around and laugh. I mean, they they're instinctive. I like what you said um, a long time ago about that uh, about that kid that was forced to kill his brother or kill his parents or really it was, it was an African kid who had to kill uh, somebody like this these gang members forced him to do that and as he's talking he's crying about it. And then you started crying about it. It was on your podcast. It was one of the podcasts. It wasn't thing. Do you don't remember that? Uh-uh. I said like a story I remember that. Uh, you, you made that up, man? No, you probably got it. You probably, you probably got it. Humans do that too. Hold on. Humans lie. Liar. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember that. You don't remember that? You don't see too many animals uh, getting together and waging war on each other. No, you don't. Well, that, well, we'll get to that in a second because that's a good point. Because uh, ultimately what happens is, is is when these things get perverted, all sin is is this perversion of, of good things. There's no inherently bad things. It's, there's just the perversion of the good thing. Yeah, there's the relationship is good. In the perverted form, we're relating in the, I'm, I'm trying to kill you. <laughs> but, you know, we're fighting as opposed to loving. Um, so then we think, okay, this is how we're made in God's image. Um, and how are we made? In, and, and, and how are we like the animals? Well, we're we're physical. We're temporal. We're temporal. We're spatial. But the physical really is all these things. Yeah. Uh, material. You know, like we share like what ninety eight percent of our DNA with apes, right? So we're like we're like the apes, and so uh, but we're but we're different. So we're like kind of caught in between two worlds. Because we're half physical, half spiritual, and that's the uniqueness of humanity. Um, and what happens is, is that when we, when when we begin to reject truth, so like the ultimate, if you go back, and this is where the Holy Spirit doctrine is so important. Oh, it's so important. We're going to be talking about all this. Um, when you read in, in Genesis three, the first time that man sinned, what it, what was the whole sin about? It was like, you can be God, right? Satan said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Which is interesting how he phrases that, because what did God really say? You can eat from any tree in the garden except for one. We focus a lot on what we can't do. If you find people focusing on what they can't do, that I should be able to do this, I should be able to do that. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. I automatically, red flags go up in my, I'm like, whoa. Hold on a second. That's not really the spirit in which a Christian should be operating. That's what got Adam and Eve in some big trouble. Why can't he? Because God said you could have any fruit that you want from any tree in the entire garden except for one. What if I told you you could have groceries for free from any grocery store in the country, in the entire country except for Country Corner in Calhoun? But you'd be like... Well, why can't I have it from there? <laughs> no, you'd be like, are you serious? I mean, I can just go in there and just grab whatever I want? Like, yep. You'd be like, thank you, thank you, thank you. But that's not what they did. And this is, and this is the nature of, of, of our sin. 
is that Satan comes in and instead of telling them what they could have, he frames it in a way that's very deceitful. And he says, did God say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? So he's immediately trying to sow a seed to get her thinking in this way. And he goes, no, 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 we, we can have, well, actually we can eat from any tree except for that one. Well, why? Well, because if we did that one, then we'll, God says, we'll die. You ain't going to die. He, God knows if you eat that tree, you'll be like him. So you won't just be. But the funny thing is, is that what? According to verse 26, man was already like God. He was already like God. So Satan just, I mean, did, I mean, he just bamboozled him. You're already like God. He should have said, hey, I'm already in God's image. Now, I'm not God. And that's really, I think, what, 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 what led them. They wanted to be God. See, being like God wasn't enough. Problem is, when you want to be God, you're not. What you're essentially saying is, I want the glory for myself. But as we mentioned earlier, the only way to really experience joy is to give glory to God. But Satan says, no, you can experience joy by giving glory to yourself. You can be God. And the reason why, this is, this is why this matters. This is how this is true, logically. The reason why you can only find joy by bringing glory to God is that you have a boundary around your existence that you will not escape. I don't care how powerful you become or how rich you become or how famous or how smart or how articulate or how you name your adjective. There are certain limitations to you and me as a human is that one is that I'm confined I'm confined to this spatial world. In fact, I can jump, I don't know what my vertical leap is right now, but I can't levitate off the ground unassisted by some mechanical device. I'm bound by space and time. Not only am I bound by space and time, my body is in a constant state of decay because of the laws of thermodynamics. The second law is interesting. <laughs> things decay over time. My body is in a constant state of decay. I mean, I'm trying to work out. I did yoga with your wife. And I'm going to tell you something. If I'd have done that 10 years ago, Danny, I'd have, I would have nailed it. I would have been doing all that stuff. Something's happened in the last 10 years. I'm not as good as I once was. But I'm as good. I'm as good once as Toby Keith says I ever was. I'm not as good as I once was. I'm decaying. My body's getting old. I'm bound by time, space, and the material world. I'm not eternal. I have a beginning, and I mean, in my life on this planet, will have an end. So as I try to be God, as I try to be a glory hog, the problem is, is I can't be that. So I, I'm banging. It's like I'm, I'm banging my head up against the wall of my existence. And, I, and I, it's, it's, it's stupidity because I'm never going to be God. But I'm trying to be God, but there's no possible way that I can be God because I'm not God. Does that make sense? God is necessary. I'm not. I'm contingent. What am I contingent on? I'm contingent on him making me. I'm never going to be God. The more I try, the more frustrated I get. The more frustrated I get, the more anxious I get. The more anxious I get, the more depressed I get. The more depressed I get. And I, eventually what will happen is if you keep banging your head up, the, uh, up against the wall of God's existence, well, a lot of times what happens, rather, is that you end up giving up on that. And you just say, tell you what I'll do. I'll go down here and hang out with the animals. I'm just going to do what the animals do. I'm just going to live by instinct. It was, and it talks about that in, in Jude, where it says that these people, they, they, they do by instinct the things that are going to destroy them. 
like wild animals to be, to be caught and destroyed because they serve their instincts on. The problem is, is that we can never become God and we can also never really become animals. We can never really become animals. You know why? Because we're made in God's image. We've got free will. We've got reason. We've got creativity. We appreciate aesthetic beauty in the world. We're relational. We're physical, temporal, spatial, material. So we look at this stuff right here and we think, wow, what could... So it, what we do is instead of becoming an animal, what we say is, I'm going to use my free will to choose evil then I'm going to take my ability to reason and use that to intensify my desires. You think, we invent ways of doing evil is what the scripture says. We invent ways of doing evil. So then you think, how do all these sexual perversions, I mean, people do stuff sexually that just blows me away. And it's like, I've heard stories, I've had, I mean, some of the stories I've heard over the years from friends of mine, I mean, I spent 12 years in uh, calling on doctors and you'd be surprised at kind of the things that come into the ER and you think how do people get into this like where does this come from well we use our reason that God gave us to intensify our animalistic instincts and desires man this sex feels good well yeah because God made it feel good so you could procreate and create families and so I wonder if I could make intensify if I maybe if I had more than one partner that would intensify. Or maybe if, and then, and then the perversion starts. Well, maybe if we, you know, had, had more than one at a time. Maybe, if, and then maybe if, what if I did it with the same gender? And then it just, and you start doing this, and what happens over time is just more and more perverse. We take creative things, we, we look at what's beautiful in the world, and then we start to worship and serve these things, like in Romans chapter 1 and 2. We worship and serve the creative things rather than the Creator. So we end up in this horrible place of despair and it's all because we tried to bring glory to ourselves but if we were to understand this trinity here that God is the only way to bring joy to ourselves by giving glory to him we could be spared from a lot of this. So that was kind of a rabbit chase but I think it, I'm glad we went down uh, because I think it's, it, it ties into what we're talking about tonight. Um and it's more, and, and, and just so you know, the majority of this class uh, will be taught like that. It will be more applicable stuff. Tonight is more on a didactic approach. Um, so the functions. Let's, let's talk about the functions of, of, the, uh, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Actually, let me, let me read this real quick. Um, the Holy Spirit is, is given the name of deity. So the Holy Spirit, I talked about the Father being, being God, the Son being God. And as the Father and the Son are God, the Holy Spirit is also God. And the deity of the Holy Spirit is indicated by, uh, number one, his possessing the names of God. So he possesses all the names. Number two, uh, having the same attributes as God. Uh, which would be this non-temporal, non-material, eternal nature. Um, his, his, uh, his performing the acts of God um, in the same way Jesus did, in the scriptures I read about Jesus, and his association with God in benedictions and the baptismal formulas. Acts chapter 2 says, Repent and be baptized in the name of the Father, of the, of the Great Commission, repent and be baptized in the name of the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? That great commission. And then in Acts 2, when they, when they are baptized, they're baptized into Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referred to as God or Lord. Um, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. You have not lied to men, but to God. So how, how do you lie to the Holy Spirit? He says in Acts chapter 5. Then he says, you had not lied to men when you lied to the Holy Spirit. You know who you lied to? You lied to God. Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple? This is in 1 Corinthians 3. If the Spirit of God lives in you. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, who is in you, whom you have received from God? There, is, there are different kinds of gift, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them and all men. 1 Corinthians 12, where the Spirit of the Lord is. Now, the Lord is Spirit. That's what I was talking about earlier, God being Spirit. The Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit, capital S, of the Lord is. There is freedom. I'm just reading through some verses here. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal attribute of God, eternal, the eternal, capital S, Spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, Hebrews 9.14. The Holy Spirit possesses attributes of deity. Uh, the Holy Spirit performs acts of deity. Um, the Holy Spirit is associated with God in prayers and benedictions. And I'm kind of moving through it a little faster because I want to get through all this. And all three members of the, of the Trinity are all persons. Each one is a person. So let's talk real quick uh, about these three persons. And what I want to do is I want to talk about their functions. Because I think this will clear it up a little bit more on what this tri triune God is. So we have Father, just let me back up a little bit, we'll do it this way. We got Father, Son, Spirit, and there's a reason why I wrote it in this format, because when you talk about the Trinity, there's two words I want you to know. One is I'm probably spelling this wrong. Ont I spell ontological. Ontological. The ontological. Ontological Trinity and the economic Trinity. Okay. So I want you to remember these two, because this is a distinction of, of, of how we describe the Trinity. And this comes into play, especially when we talk about like um, things like the gender roles, um, the roles of women in the church. Uh, this is very important to understand, because if we get off on this, then it can lead to other things in terms of our relationships with our wives or our husbands. Ontological 
describes who God is. Ontological describes who God is. Economic Trinity, if I say the economic Trinity, describes what God does. Do you see the difference there? Ontological is what God is. So if I'm describing, the, if I'm talking in terms of the ontological trinity, I'm talking about what is God? Is, is the Father greater than the Son? Is it, is it like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like that? Or is it Son first? Like who's first? Who's the, who's the ball? Who's, who's the greatest? Well, it matters because when we talk about ontologically, <coughs> ontologically what God is, guess what? no greater. In your marriage, is there a greater? Am I greater than my wife in value? No. Now, if you said, but Zach, are y'all the same? Do you do the same thing? Well, no, no. We, we do different things. We, we've, got a, we've got this thing in our marriage, according to Scripture, of headship of a husband, right? The husband is the head, and then the wife is in a complementary role to that. So that this is, this is the economic or the economic trinity. Now when we talk about the economic trinity, now we do have a difference in roles where the Son and the Spirit are some... Uh, I have a hard time coming up with a word. I don't want to say subordinate, but are complementary to the Father. They proceed from the Father. Um, so there's the, there is this role difference here when we talk about the economic trinity. So one of the discussions I've been having lately with uh, some of my friends in, in Nashville is this this idea that, that a lot of churches are in, are wanting to eradicate gender roles. You know, the Lutheran Church has done it. The Episcopal Church has done it. Um, you know, I think that the, the Church of Christ uh, is is toying with it. Um, one of the one of the things with the, what, what what what's going wrong here is they're saying my, uh, my wife is equal to me. How can you say that she can't do this? I didn't say she wasn't equal. Ontologically. What we are, we're equal. But what we do may be different things, or maybe a role in the gender role is rooted in creation. And Paul spells that out in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, 14, and 1 Timothy 2. When he's talking about gender roles, he you know, guess what he references? Trinity. He says he, he, he compares it to the Trinity. As, as, as God the Father is the head of Christ, he says Christ is the head of man. Uh, man is the head of woman. But what he's not saying is, is that one's better than the other. He's not saying that I'm better than my wife, just as God the Father isn't better than Jesus or the Son. He's just saying in terms of economy that there's different roles. And there's a, there is, there is a subordination or, or, or a, a complementary role that the Spirit and the Son play. So, how do we define this? What time we got? Okay, so we just, we'll say the Father... Is uh, is the planner of our salvation? The Father is the planner of our salvation. The Son is the Jesus came in flesh, right? And He acted it out, right? He's the accomplisher of our salvation. 
God the Father planned it, sends the Son to accomplish it, and then the Holy Spirit is the applier. God planned it, the Father, God the Son did it, and God the Spirit applies it to us. You read, and we'll go, we're going to we're going to spend a lot of time in John 14 through 17. You read that whole passage in John 16, and it talks about what the Holy Spirit does. Well, I mean, what he says, he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin in terms of righteousness, judgment. That whole passage, what he's, but the, it's the Spirit that applies salvation to our lives, and not just our justification. Okay, I'm justified before God, and this is where this class is going to really be different. I'm going to spend 90% of the time on this application, because we're talking about the Spirit, right? On the application of our faith, which there's a word for that. The word is sanctification. Sanctification. And I want to make the case that this, 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 well, the primary role of the Spirit is to give glory to God, but, but the way He does it in our life is through a process called sanctification. Another way of saying this... Yeah, that's true. He's a resurrected. Yeah, he's, 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 yeah, I think that's a, another, yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I, and, and that would be... Romans 8, 11 says the same spirit that raised Christ's body from the grave will also raise you from the grave because he's in your body. So we think about salvation, think about it in terms of justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is I'm saved from the guilt of sin. Okay, I was a sinner, and in a court of law, if I went before the judge in the court of law, he would say, Zach, you are guilty as charged, but because of the finished work of Christ, guess what? I am free from the guilt of sin. Okay? Now, when I say guilt, I don't mean I'm freed from guilty feelings. I mean, I mean guilt. I'm guilty. And my, and my plea is, I'm guilty. And the judge says, not guilty. You see what I'm saying there? It's, it's a judgment call. It isn't anything but a judgment. Now, I can be freed from the guilt of sin in terms of, I, I, okay, your sins are forgiven. But then you're like, okay, now what? Sin still has a power in my life. This is important because a lot of people get saved, but then they still have this horrible power over their life. So sanctification is freedom from the power of sin. Which you can experience freedom from the power of sin to the extent that you give glory to God. That's what sanctification is. The Spirit... Applying salvation in our lives, free from the guilt of sin, but presently free from the power of sin. He's teaching me. He, the Spirit is guiding me to give glory to God. As I say, yes, Holy Spirit, and submit, you're right. I need to give glory to God and give glory to myself. Then I experience freedom from the power of sin. And then as Brian pointed out, one day... I'll be resurrected. 
And I'll be glorified in the sense of resurrected to live with God, glorification, not in the same glory that God receives, in giving glory to God, I will be freed from the presence of sin. This is this is this is what salvation is. So when we, you know, uh, and I don't mean to knock on the church Christ again, but I, I think it's important for those in here to understand our history because we haven't talked about anything but really this one in terms of salvation. We hadn't talked about sanctification in terms of salvation, and we hadn't really talked about glorification in terms. Of, we're free through the finished work of Christ from the guilt of sin, from the power of sin, and from the presence of sin. This is important because as I move forward in my walk with God and we understand the true doctrine of the Holy Spirit, what it does is it allows me not only personal liberation, but when I'm sharing my faith with people, it is very, very beneficial to be able to say something more than, hey, look, come to Jesus, give your life to Jesus, and man... When you die, you'll go to heaven. I mean, your life is going to be horrible until then. I mean, but you have to grind it out. I mean, you, I mean, but but once, but 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 one day when you die, oh, eternal bliss. Now, it's hard to sell that. But what if I told you this? Give your life to Jesus, turn yourself in, and your life can be transformed today. You can begin to experience joy in your life. You can find fulfillment. You can find. I mean, like, there, like this. This life is wonderful. I mean, this is what. This is what. This is why the gospel is so powerful. It's not just about the afterlife. The Bible teaches that the kingdom of God is what. It's here. We're to be doing the kingdom work now. And if we get off on this, this is why all this matters. If we get off on the Trinity. We're not going to have a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. If we don't have a doctrine of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to really have a proper doctrine of what salvation means. If we don't have a proper doctrine of what salvation means, we're not going to have a doctrine of the kingdom. If we don't have a doctrine of the kingdom, what's the purpose of the church other than coming in and punching in our heart? See how this works together? This is essential. We must be teaching this, and we must learn this, and we must share this with other people. So, we think about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father is the source of salvation. The Son is the means of salvation. And the Spirit is the effect, the effect of salvation. The Father's the Son, I mean, the Father's the source, the Son is the means and the spirit is the, I should say, the effector. The effector, of, the effector of salvation. The father is the sender. The son is the one who was sent. Let me see what we have in terms for our Holy Spirit on that one. Um, well, it's a convictor. My spelling is horrible. But I want you to see this in, in, in terms of how all this works because when we get into this doctrine of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to make sense unless we understand that everybody's kind of got a role here. 
Everybody's got a role, if you notice, up here on this board, and it doesn't really work without this whole thing jiving together. We've got a few more minutes. So I'm going to wrap up with, with a couple of things about who God is um, and limitations on God. Uh, anytime I share the gospel with somebody, I ask them this question. I say, can God do anything? If I ask you the question, can God do anything, what would you say? What's your gut reaction? People get so the college groups that I worked with, they, they I'm like notorious for like setting you up for like. <laughs> they know every time I ask questions, like no one answers because it's like you know we're gonna, whatever we say, you've got some trick up your sleeve. Uh, but God, God can't do anything. Uh, he can't do. He can't sin. We know that according to Scripture, right? God, God cannot lie. God cannot tell a lie. It's impossible. The Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. Uh, God cannot do the logically impossible. Stay with me on this. Can't do that. God cannot. He cannot create a round square. A logical impossibility is something that contradicts it contradicts itself. He can't make a round square. God cannot do that. He can't make a married bachelor. Okay? Because think about it. If it's married, if, I, if a guy's married, then what is he not? Not a bachelor. If it's round, it's not a square. So you say, well, Zach, I'm not feel comfortable saying that, man. I don't, I don't want to put God limits on God. I don't, I don't feel comfortable with what you're saying right now. I'm not placing limits on God. What I'm doing is, because I'm not saying that God can't do this because he lacks the power. This isn't, this isn't a, about him lacking the power. What this means when I say God can't do the logically impossible is we, we can take language in such a way that we can manipulate our language into saying things that are incoherent. Or they, like, it sounds like I'm saying something when I say, when I say a round square, but I'm not really saying anything. Okay, so it would be the equivalent of me saying, "Can God make a googly gobbledygook?" I just, I just said something. I made, I took my, I just took noises and made them out of my mouth. Said, "Can God make that?" Well, I didn't say anything. That's not, that's not coherent. It's not coherent to think of something that contradicts itself. That doesn't exist in reality. It doesn't exist. And this is important when we talk about God and when we talk about the Holy Spirit, because when we get into to, to what God does, God can do anything. If it's like, but he's not like there are like we have to learn about communication, how we communicate ideas about God, because he's not going to do the logically impossible. And this is this is important because as what we're going to find out is is that the church, and when I say the church, I don't I mean the big church, like the global church throughout history, not not just our denomination, the, the global church throughout history. Um, has taken a nosedive when it comes to understanding this. I mean, a nosedive. You know what I grew up thinking about faith? You know what I thought faith was? I thought faith was what you do when you don't have any reason to believe it. I thought faith was like that thing like, oh, I have no facts or no reason to believe this. That like, I'm going to believe it anyways. Well, that's faith, brother. Um, I would go to the pastor, I'd go to the preacher, the, 
youth minister, I'd say, hey, look, man, I have a struggle here understanding how this is, makes sense. Like, I mean, how do we know if science says this? And you get all your objections for God's existence. And the typical response always was, well, brother, just have faith. That's the whole point of faith. And so the, I, I, rock, I rock and rolled along for a number of years like that. And, uh, and then I found myself eight years ago where I started this story tonight about to lose my faith because I'm like, okay, I need to know. I'm so glad I asked God. I was afraid to ask God because I thought, what if he's not real? And then the answer, no answer comes back. And then I'm like, uh-oh, I lose my faith. But, but if God is really there, we don't have to be afraid of exploring truth. Um, the Holy Spirit, as we're going to find out, through the application, the effector, through the conviction, all the things that he does, the ultimate goal is to bring glory to God through the revelation of truth. Okay? To bring glory to God through the revelation of truth. This is, this is the goal of the Holy Spirit. This is his purpose. To apply salvation in these ways through bringing glory to God through the revelation of truth. Bring glory to God through the revelation of truth. This is what the Spirit does. Now, when I say that, what I want to do in this class is I'm going to show you historically how the philosophers, that's why this class is going to be a little bit different on, on, on our doctrine of the Holy Spirit, because I also want to show you historically how the church has bought into a lie that when it comes to matters of faith, we can't really know anything. Faith is the opposite of knowledge, is what we've, what we've been told. Okay? Or, or at least that's what we've been led to believe through the way we talk. And I'll give examples of how throughout the, 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 the series. Faith is the opposite of knowledge. Now, here's our problem. If the Holy Spirit's role is to give glory to God, give glory to God through the revelation of truth, or I guess I should say revelation of truth up here, revelation of truth, you know what this is? What is, what is a revelation of truth? What does that mean? If something's been revealed to me that, that, wasn't, that I was unaware of in the past, I'm the truth has been revealed to me, what do I gain when that happens? You gain knowledge. You know something that you didn't know before. When you know something that you didn't know before, that's called knowledge. The way the Spirit gives glory to God is through the revelation of truth in our life. So another way of saying this is the way the Holy Spirit gives glory to God is by helping us know God. So if we are teaching in such a manner as to lead people to believe that faith is the opposite of knowledge, what we're actually doing is we're teaching people the exact opposite 
of what Scripture tells us we should be teaching people. And I'm here to tell you that for the last 300 years, by and large, this is the predominant view, some form of this. I'm telling you, we are missing out on the good life. I bet Swindle talks about this in his book to some extent, based on what you told me. And we are missing out on the good life. And by reducing the Holy Spirit to mere experience, well, number one, can you imagine talking about Christianity by diminishing Jesus to nothing more than a feeling? Oh, Jesus, that's a feeling you get when you're in church service and you know you overcome with emotion. We don't talk about Jesus in that way, do we? We know Jesus is important and essential to the whole mix. Well, if the doctrine of the Trinity is correct, and Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit's God, guess who's also essential? The Holy Spirit. So a proper doctrine of the, of the Trinity leads to a proper doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which leads to all this stuff that I'm talking about. Um, I've got about three or four minutes if y'all got any questions uh, or any comments. Uh, I'll close this up in prayer real quick. What you can do is uh, if you guys, um, I'm going to teach this class in such a way that I'll hit some of this stuff repeatedly, like I said. So we're going to leave it kind of open. If y'all know somebody that you think should be here, or you'd like to invite, bring them on. I mean, we're going to we're going to hit a lot of the same stuff, so you'll you'll be able to kind of come in and out. But the more you come, obviously, the more you get out of it. Um, but if someone like you, like, hey man, they're not gonna, they can come any week, and they're and they're not gonna be, t- they'll get they'll get something out of it. Because um, I want to hit this stuff over and over again, and hopefully by the end of it, you'll be like I will as as I begin to explore this, or maybe you already have been exploring it, and it'll just be further edification for you. Um, and then also the book that a lot of the material comes from is Francis Schaeffer's uh, True Spirituality. Um, which is a, a, a short book, probably I don't know how many pages it is. It's not long. Um, would you say it's a, would you say it's a tough read? No, it can be at the beginning. He's got a, he's got a Schaefer's kind of his wording is a little different than what well, I'm used once to. Once you get into it, it's kind of get used to his pattern of speech and what yeah. he talks about. Yeah, but I mean, Schaefer's one of those guys that when you start reading, I mean, everybody, everybody that I've got on Schaefer, what, what they always come back to me, it's one of the best Bible studies I've ever done is that book. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's a solid Bible study is what it is. But uh, it's one of the things that you, it's, it's an eye opener. He will, he will challenge your thinking and, uh, and hope they can beat you through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we do come to you in prayer. We thank you for tonight, God. We thank you for um, just your presence here, God. We thank you for for this body, Father, for this fellowship that we have in one another, Lord. We do thank you that that you made us in your image and that you made us to have a relationship with you, God. We uh, we seek that. We want that. We want it with each other. God, I pray we can love you with all of our hearts and we can love each other as ourselves, Father. That uh, throughout this class, God, that you will just speak to us and help us to understand how your Holy Spirit uh, indwells us, Father, and sanctifies us and, and, and how that we can access, Father, that joy 
God, that you promise us in Scripture that we don't have to live our lives on this earth, Father, in despair. We don't have to live our lives with sin just gripping our every move, Father, that we can actually experience a great deal of liberation, a substantial amount of liberation and sanctification, Father, that we can experience, Father, a, a life that is, is fulfilled, that we don't have to grind out our spiritual life to the end of time, Father. We, we can experience your kingdom now, God, that we can be a part of that work and, and with you, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by his resurrection. We thank you for all these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This has been a presentation by Whitesbury Road Church. For more information, please visit wfrchurch.org.